Am I on now? Yes. So um, we've been doing a series about discipleship, and we're um, pausing it for Palm Sunday, for Easter, because Easter intrudes, as these things do. I was thinking about Easter and thinking about parades, and um, in the news lately, um, I don't know if you've seen this, in Myanmar there's been protests and parades, people marching, and actually Kevin, um, Kevin Nichols has a bit of insight on Myanmar. Where are you, Kevin? Come and tell us about, a bit about Myanmar, and uh, that's it. Yep, you're off live. We've got it on. Yep, that's the one. What have we got here? Um, yeah, one of the things that uh, Jesus tells us to do is, is uh, make disciples of all nations, you know, in our neighbourhood, uh, our city, country, and across the world. And, you know, as we've been reading in the news, um, Myanmar has been going through uh, some really difficult times of the coup. Uh, it's been uh, a tough place to be. So what is, where is Myanmar? Well, there's a map um, of its location, around 50 million people. It's Buddhism, it's primary uh, religion. Uh, Christian population, 4.5 million, 2.5 evangelical, so practicing. It was, um, missionaries went there in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, but most Christians do belong to minority groups, and that's often a problem. Obviously, the uh, military regime has had a big part to say in that, playing that uh, there. The way they were um, a military regime expelled foreign Christian workers around uh, the 2000s and actively um, targeted those Christian villages. They used violence, forced labour uh, to keep the, the minority groups under control. Um, they also promoted suspicion along ethnic lines. Uh, and that has really torn the country apart because it's about, um, you'll see the, the um, uh, provinces in the next slide. So, uh, but one of the things that MAF had targeted uh, Myanmar as a potential area where there's so many developed and isolated people. And so we had uh, started a survey there in 2007 no, years ago, in 2013 or thereabouts. And we had identified uh, that as a, a, a place that would really that we could really serve the remote people. Uh, we had set up an operation in uh, in Yangon, and in the second quarter of this year, in the next few months, we were actually intending to start operations there with a single aircraft, a pilot, and uh, a small team. So we have already assembled a small team. Uh, unfortunately, that's uh, gone on hold at the moment. If you go to the next slide. One of the big programs uh, that we had uh, um, started working on was a new airstrip in a place called Lalempi in the Chin State. And according to the um, World Bank, this was one of the most uh, poorest and most isolated people groups and provinces in Myanmar. And um, we had got very close. Um, we got about 95% of the way. And if you go to the next slide, um, you'll see the airstrip, that was in October last year. I think they just about finished sealing most of the airstrip and there was just a bit more stabilisation work that had to be done. And then about two weeks ago, the military came along and took all the keys away and told us to stop work, even though we're just about there. Go to the next slide. So why, why Chin State for this airstrip? Well, it was actually, again, one of the most impoverished um, states in Myanmar. Um, it's, what were the benefits of Lalempi? Well, it would have actually made, uh, it was a three-day trip to the nearest hospital, um, 
or a two-day strip trip to the nearest airstrip to get out to a hospital. Uh, and instead, it's 55 minutes by by aircraft. Uh, and it will link about a about a quarter of the southern Chin State's population to the outside world, which is significant. The people in that area were very excited. In fact, there's a, uh, a person called Dr. Sousa. You're going to hear a little bit about him later on. Uh, he was a doctor in the area, and about 15, 20 years ago, he prophesied. He, he looked up at the birds circling around the Lalimpi village and said, I see aeroplanes circling around here like those birds, and everybody laughed at him. And he's been very instrumental in getting MAF into Myanmar. And uh, today we had an airstrip, and it could have been very close, but you know, we don't know God's purposes. Um, so, next slide. So, how can we pray for the people? Um, in your prayers, uh, we can pray that the Christians will be a bright light of God's love to their people in these difficult times. Protect them in wisdom for Dr. Sousa. He's a Christian and he's currently the envoy to the UN for Myanmar. And that's not going down very well with the um, military junta at the moment. Um, wisdom for MAF leadership as we know the way forward as we grapple with the future of MAF Myanmar. Obviously we've invested a lot there, but um, right now, not sure what next. So prayers for the management team. And wisdom and protection for the local staff there. We have got about two or three local staff there. We had an expat helping with the construction. We managed to just get them out two or three days ago, which was rather fortunate. So let's pray, uh, and then we'll hand over back to Colin. Father, we acknowledge that you are good and in control all the time. We thank you for that. We acknowledge your goodness. But in these difficult times, we just pray for your strength for the people of Myanmar, especially our brothers and sisters there who are persecuted. I pray you give them strength, wisdom, and love to show, to show them the way to extend your kingdom. Lord, I also pray for wisdom for the MAF management team, that they know what to do next, that you will give them insight and uh, supernatural insight on what next steps to take. I also pray for Dr. Sousa. He's in a really difficult position, Father, but I pray your protection and guidance, wisdom and peace, even though his people are going through such a struggle. So, Father, we just thank you so much that you are God and Lord over all. We just pray for also for our other local staff there. So we thank you for your grace. Amen. So here are the um, here are these these are medical workers marching. Can you black the screen, please? These are medical workers marching in the small hours of the morning there um, because they think their chances were less for being attacked by the police, shot with rubber bullets and that kind of thing. They got out to march because they thought it was important that Myanmar in the early 60s was taken over by a military group and um, they promised that they would travel towards democracy. So that's the 60s. And they have been traveling towards democracy until this year. Um, when uh, uh, there was another military coup, and uh, as you can see, they're protesting. So what would make you protest? What would make you go on for a march? Well, I started to think about well, what's that like for us? What marches have we had? Well, in 1972, anyone go on the march for Jesus in 1972? When the world was black and white? <laughs> Why did we do that? I think they, Christians wanted to be noticed. Um, they wanted it to be a celebration. 1975, there was a, a, a land march, a hikoi. Do people remember that? The iconic image for people is the older Māori Korea walking along. And in fact, interestingly, um, subsequent to that, that's why we have Waitangi Tribunal. 
was that they recognised there was land that had been confiscated unfairly. 1981, Springbok tour, anyone remember that? My parents marched, they um, went under a sign that somebody else had made, cowards against the tour. Um, because things got pretty rough in that. That was one of those marches you'd think, do I want to go along to this? They're not all bad, America's Cup, 1995. Did they do a ticket pay through Christchurch? Nobody can remember. Rugby World Cup, did they do one then? Yes, yes. who went? A few hands, yep. <laughs> Good on you. Marches are, and actually more recently, Black Lives Matter. Um, that's uh, taken in Auckland and it's people, subsequent to uh, George Floyd's death, people wanting to say, this is not right. And you'll have seen in the news yesterday or the day before, um, a, a number of Asians doing the same thing. What kind of things make you march? Well, they're either great celebrations or they're standing up for something, aren't they? That's what makes a procession. It's Palm Sunday, and there's the procession we'll read about. And if you have a look, the um, whole text is up on the wall over there, so you'll get a chance to have a look at it. Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and the crowds go crazy. There's a couple of scholars who point out that actually there's probably another procession happening on that day in a different place. See, Pontius Pilate lived in Caesarea Maritime, which is a, a Roman-constructed city. Here the great had built it on the shore. It was a, a little bit like Pegasus. Everything was new, brand spanking, but it was a, a sign of how great Rome was. And Pontius Pilate is going to need to be in Jerusalem for the Passover, so he's going to come in. Now, when Pontius Pilate comes in, there'll be another parade. There'll be, he'll come in accompanied by cavalry on horses, foot soldiers in armour with helmets and spears and banners and golden eagles on poles. There'll be drums beating and marching feet and pomp and ceremony. And there'll be the onlookers, some silent, some curious, some awed and some resentful. Two processions going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. One with Jesus... One with, well, let's just pay a little attention to this thing called the empire. The Roman Empire made the Myanmar troops look compassionate. It worked through fear. If you resisted, you would be enslaved or killed, and you and your family too. It's called a domination system, and there are three markers of a domination system. The first is that it has political oppression. So you don't get to have a say. There's a... Uh, the many are ruled by the few. The second one is that there's economic oppression. You work as hard as you can and the money goes to someone else. And the third marker, so the, the dice are loaded in the rich's favour, and the third marker of an empire, according to this, these scholars, is religious, liturgi- religious legitimisation. That means that the religious systems are in place to try and reinforce this. They ruled by fear of death. Now, it's sad about the religious legitimization. In the Jewish system, once a family had land, they were never supposed to lose it. But once Rome was in charge, there were a number of ways that you could get land if you wanted it. You just had to make sure that the people went bankrupt. And when there's economic oppression, it's quite possible to do that. In fact, it's not just Rome that did this. European history was full of this, isn't it? Look back a bit, you'll see these three markers all the way through. 
Empire rules by force and fear of death. Do what we say or we'll kill you or beat you up. The words of every bully. So on one side of the city, you have a procession of power and fear. And on the other side, there's this strange figure, Jesus, entering on a donkey. And the crowd responds, blessed is he who comes, the king in God's name. All's well in heaven, glory in the high places. This is not a kingdom of fear. This is a kingdom of hope. And Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. And the Jewish people would have been struck how opposite this is to Pilate's entry. There's no saber rattling. There's no fear. And the religious would have heard echoes of Zechariah. Shout and cheer, daughter, uh, daughter Zion. Raise the roof, daughter Jerusalem. Your king is coming. A good king who makes everything right. A humble king riding on a donkey, a mere colt of a donkey. And then Zechariah carries on, I've had it with war, no more chariots in Ephraim, no more war horses in Jerusalem, no more swords or spears, bows and arrows. He will offer peace to the nations, a peaceful rule worldwide from the four winds to the seven seas. I think that includes Myanmar. Strong words in contrast to Rome's, do it my way or I'll beat you up. This is a kingdom of hope, with a servant king who comes in humbly and rules with freedom and love, where it's not about the rich getting richer. It's not about oppression. And in the end, Jesus marches into Jerusalem showing us that death is not to be feared. It is not the end. They're really different, aren't they? You would hope that the religious would jump on board, but in fact, some Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, get your disciples under order. And Jesus says, if they kept quiet, the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. The religious ones there had their, were interwoven with the domination system. They said, pull your heads in, don't make trouble. And in fact, just after this, Jesus will go outside of Jerusalem, he will stand outside Jerusalem, and he will lament and say, you didn't get it. And that passage is printed on the wall over there. In a bit, there'll be some stuff to do. Does any of this apply to us? Well, we still have people of riches and power, and it's not wrong to be well off. Political oppression, how would we go, do you think? I think most of us would say, we're a democracy. There's not much political oppression. Though I wonder if the answer would vary depending on who you ask. Um, the move afoot to have Maori wards is coming from people who, minorities who are little represented. I think MPMP's got some great features. I'm not sure we serve minorities well, but actually on the whole I think we're not about political oppression. Economic oppression, I struggle a bit more. You'll have seen this before, I've showed it in church before. This is the, um, the inequality tower, this is 2018. And this is a, a graphic trying to show you where the, how much land, how much people own of New Zealand. And so um, the top 1% own 22% of New Zealand. The top 10% own this much. 50% of New Zealand live in here. So it's just to try and illustrate that in New Zealand, and the trend is in New Zealand, like most prosperous Winston countries, the rich get increasingly rich and the poor get poorer, or at least worse off. 
And then I get nervous because I look at the religious legitimization and think, Christianity's done a lot of legitimization. I think, I won't go there. (laughs) I think sometimes when you look at other countries, you can see it clearer than you can in your own. And I certainly see it in America. So we don't want to be about this, do we? We want to be about the kingdom of hope and freedom. So I've got some Easter stations set up. We're going to make a little bit of a shift. I'll show you a painting, and then I'll explain the, uh, the, uh, the stations. And uh, Ross is going to play some music in the background, not the planned music, because all my wheels fell off. So we're going to have 10, 15 minutes of milling where there are options. And I'll just explain them over here is the Palm Sunday story with some images. At the back over there, there's a whole bunch of these clothes pegs. Now, if I jump back up into here, I can show you which you're invited to decorate, to grab a felt pen and make it look like you. Okay, They'll be able to use them later. Um, This is what this is for. If I go back to the painting, this is a Palm Sunday painting by Jean Hayes. Um, She's from paints in Townsville, Australia. So you can see the palm, people holding up palms. I love the baby holding up a palm. And there's someone over there rushing towards it, and there's a runner here who's obviously had enough and he's exhausted, and there's the cyclist watching on. The um, idea with the peg is that you draw on it things that represent you, and then you ask some questions, and the questions are, where would you be in this painting if there was a procession going over? Where would you like to be in this painting? And the idea is that on this uh, uh, sand sand tray here, you could, if you wanted, put your peg where you think you'd be or where you'd like to be. That's to prompt you to pray. At the back, at the table at the back, there is a, um, so this is back over there, a, a bunch of pieces of paper which are to write the things that you think might be of empire. There would some be here, some here who'd say um, the legalization of abortion would be a thing of empire. So write the things that you think of that, and I'd like you to come and put them up onto these blocks, and maybe I'd quite like these blocks to be stacked reasonably high. For those who know the Palm Sunday story, what happens after Jesus has gone into Jerusalem? He goes into a temple, and he tips over the signs of domination. So guess what's going to happen to that table? Yep. Okay, and then over on this side, um, courtesy of Rachel's hard work, um, are a whole series of stations just to do with Easter. So for the next 10, 15 minutes, you've got a chance to do something. You can chat. If you don't want to do any of these things, you can chat with your friend. I'd like it to be a thing where we are thinking about the procession in, where we might be, and thinking about the empire that we don't want to be part of. Here you go. This is uh, like buying IKEA furniture. Some assembly is required. (laughs) Spirit, be present with us as we do that. I'll call us together in, say, 10, 15 minutes' time. Um, You have a chance to do any of those things, or, in fact, if you want to do none of them, that's also okay. God, be present with us as we remember your entry into Jerusalem. Always takes one or two to stand to get things going.
what I'm hoping is that amongst this, it's prompted some prayer for you, between you and God. What I'm hoping is that you've thought about where I might be in this procession. What I'm hoping is that each of us might be considering the place of empire, of where the places where we might want to say, no, that's not about Jesus, and actually that's something I'm not for. Just to carry on the story a tiny bit, on Palm Sunday, Jesus went into the temple and saw how the empire, the domination system, had set up in the temple, and he wasn't happy. I've got a couple of volunteers. Could you stand there for a moment? We're just going to reenact it for its prophetic nature. Going into the temple, he began to throw out everyone who had set up shops selling everything and anything. He said, it's written in scripture, my house is a house of prayer. You have turned it into a religious bazaar. So as a kind of prayer, we pray that you take the things of empire and throw them out. So, I've got a closing prayer for us. Actually, because we've gone on a bit, um, can we drop the last song? My apologies for this. Um, Would you join me in uh, just the line at the bottom? Jesus of all ages, the empire of greed and corruption that enriched the rich and powerful and oppressed the poor made you angry. You lived and died to save us. Hosanna. We too have some marks of empire in our world. From injustice and selfishness, deliver us. You lived and died to save us. Hosanna. So your children may enjoy the land you have entrusted to us and all may benefit from what it has to offer. You lived and died to save us. Hosanna. In the name of the resurrected Saviour. Amen. It's Palm Sunday. That was probably a darker Palm Sunday than is of norm. You are welcome to go and do whatever you do at the end. There should be tea and coffee around and maybe even are there hot disgruntled buns? There were people um, harassing buns that may be edible. Um, don't forget there's a, 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 a barbecue, a BYO barbecue um, at Malcolm and Wendy's. Uh, is there anything else? Oh, we'll be doing a Maundy Thursday. Um, we're going to do a Tedebrace service, a service of shadows on Thursday evening and then um, Easter Sunday at uh, 10.30. And, of course, do pray for the Easter camp, guys. May the grace of God be with all of us. Amen. Thanks.